Today is week three of this sermon series called FAM. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at all things concerning family dynamics and family life. Week one, we were reminded, even though we probably didn't need that reminder, that none of us belong to the ideal picture-perfect family. We all got our issues, we all got our baggage, we all sin, we all struggle, yet in love... Jesus has made you and me a part of his picture-perfect ideal family through the blood that he shed for us on his cross. Last week, week two, we talked about the inevitable fights that naturally come our way in, in that family dynamic. And we really focused on two things. The first one was an absolute must, right, that we recognize it's not just him or her or them, that we are part of the problem too. Our sin, our pride, our anger gets in the way, and it causes so many problems, yet Jesus comes to us, and he forgives us, and he helps us, and he's the one that quiets the fights in our lives as we look to him for all that we truly need. Well, today, as we continue this series, we want to talk about another very important topic as we navigate family life, and it's really a topic about parenting. All right? And here's the reality. Whether you're a parent or not, maybe your kids are small and they're in the house, they're grown and they moved away. Maybe, maybe you're still single, but, but you might want to get married and have kids someday. Or just the fact that all of us live and come from a family, all of these principles we're going to talk about certainly still apply to you and me. And as we do that today, this is the first question that we really want to, to answer and consider. It's kind of the main question throughout this sermon is, who is the center of your family universe. Who's the center? Because whoever that person or thing is, is going to drive, is going to push, is going to dictate how you and your family live day in and day out. And so that's where we're going today. And as we start, can we just throw this out there, right? And, and anybody who's been in these shoes for sure, can I get an amen that parenting's hard? Amen. Right? It's hard, man. It's, it's probably, I, I can only speak for myself, but it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in life is to try to navigate. How am I going to take care of two kids? And some of you are like, two? Hold my drink. I got five or six. Right? Parenting's hard because this is what does not happen. When you, when you take that little bundle of joy out of the hospital, guess what? Nobody comes and gives you a book and says, well, here we'll cover every little thing that you could possibly imagine that's going to happen to them or that you need to know as a mom or dad. Right? Did you get that manual? If you did, let me know where you got it from, because they didn't give me one. <laughs> Parenting's hard. It takes a whole lot of work. It takes a ton of time and, and commitment. It takes maybe a lot of phone calls to your own parents, or maybe grandparents, or another friend or mentor who's been there, done that, that can help you in some of these things. It is not easy at all. <laughs> And because it's not easy, that, that leads me maybe to, to the very first danger that we need to be aware of in our family life as we try to answer this question, who's the center? And the first danger is this. Danger number one, when the kids become the center of the family. Now, I want to be gentle here because I think all parents are guilty of this, but you've seen this play out, right? 
The kid throws a fit at the line at the store. Kids causing problems at that family get-together. Maybe it's here at church. Maybe it's in a, another public setting. And that parent is frantically looking for an iPhone or, or a snack to, to give them whatever it's going to take. Whatever you want, whatever you need, whatever you... Just take it. Just be quiet. Right? Now, here's the hard part with this question, right? All of us, it's really easy to look at other families and see that and not always so easy to self-reflect and see it in in our own families. But here's the problem, right? Maybe some of you are thinking, well, what's the big deal if I hand my iPhone over to my toddler just to shut him up while I get a little grocery shopping? But the problem is if we're not careful, because in and of itself, that's not wrong. So don't beat yourself up. That is not a sin. But when this keeps happening again and again and again and again and again, we're heading for danger. Right, a family where the kids are the center of the universe, that family universe, you're going to head into danger where kids dictate and kids set the standard and kids make the rules and not mom and dad. In fact, you can take Jesus' words out of it. Even a lot of modern psychologists will say the same thing, that kids thrive in environments where there's clear boundaries and rules that keep them safe. Now, I'm not saying be the overbearing parent and just beat them down, because God has a word about that too, right? Don't do it. But kids should not be the center. When kids are the center, it flips the fourth commandment upside down. You know what the fourth commandment is, right? Fourth commandment is? Amen, right? And so when the kids are the center, it takes God's good commandment for a blessing and it flips it upside down. So this is danger number one. Parents, God says, be careful. Be careful that you don't make your kids the center. And it's not just when they're two. It can be when they're 22 or 42, too. Make sure that they're not the center. Another danger to be aware of is kind of the opposite. It's, it's when the ki- parents become the kids or act like the kids. Now, what I'm not talking about is this. I'm not talking about maybe that happy-go-lucky kind of jokester that we're like, oh, that, he or she's just a big kid. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the parents who attach their value, their self-worth, their sense of accomplishment, their all, and it's tied in very much to their kids' self-worth, sense of accomplishment, and all of that. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about when parents, and we're all tempted to do this, when, when we put too much emphasis and, and attach our identity to whether our kids are straight-A students or they struggle. Whether they're the well-behaved ones at church or, or they get into trouble. Whether they got the scholarship or made the team or got the playing time I think they should have gotten or landed the job. And it's really easy to do this to, in a sense, live through our children's accomplishments or find our worth and value based on whether they do really well in life or, or they struggle. God says don't do that. Don't attach your identity to, to your kids because here's what's going to happen. You're going to always be left frustrated and let down, right? What happens when your kid didn't make the honor roll, they didn't make the team, they're struggling in life even as an adult, what are you going to do? You're going to beat yourself up, you're going to let guilt rule, and you're going to feel like you're a bad parent. And God says don't do those things. Don't make the kids and don't make yourself the center of the family. Now, I thought this, so I'm sure some of you at this point are thinking, well, you know what, I, I, I'm only trying 
to do what's best for my kids. I'm only trying to give them things that I never had, experiences that I never had. But there's still a danger in that too, isn't there? Maybe it's not so much about our kids as about what we want as a parent. And I know this is dangerous to do, but I'm going to share a story that happened to me this past week with one of my own children. We were heading to a baseball game or a baseball practice, and we were coming from one of his music lessons. And he's been doing music lessons a couple weeks now. And of course, he chose the instrument that no parent wants their kid to choose. Drums, you got it. And so the last couple of weeks, mom and dad, even the instructor has been trying to kind of convince him to, to do something different, to play a more, more versatile instrument, something you might use more like a piano or a guitar. And so for the last three weeks, he's kind of been hearing those messages from his parents, including his own dad. And as we were driving to practice, he said, Dad, I'll do it. I'm like, what? He's like, I'll play the piano. And almost immediately, it's funny how God works, my heart just sank. And I said, why do you want to do that? Because he was passionate about wanting to play the drums. Why do you want to do that? Is it because we told you you should play another instrument? And I love how honest kids are. He says to me, I don't mean to be mean, Dad, but honestly, yeah. I feel like I was pressured to change. So I said, you, you play the drums, buddy. Right? Did I want him to play piano more than he wanted to? Was it more about me? It was. And that's just a minor story. Parents, be careful that we don't do that to our kids. Another danger is this, right? If we give our kids everything, if we bail them out all the time, if we make it all about them and they are the center of the universe, you know what the danger is. Our kids will grow up to be what? Self-centered, selfish, thinking it's all about them. And recently, I just saw something somewhere that talked about the entitlement generation. I thought, but hey, as 40, 50, 60, 70-year-olds, we raise them. Parents, be careful. And here's the deal. I, I get it. We all want kids to grow up healthy and strong and be productive citizens. But maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe our focus is all too much on those things, and we forget about the greater things that God says are important and should be at the center. So how are we going to do it? If we're going to raise our kids not to just be healthy, successful, and well-adjusted citizens, but also followers of Christ, how are we going to do it? We can't do it the way the world does it. The world does it that, the way I was just describing oftentimes. We can't do it that way because it won't work. What does God say? So the first section of God's word that I want to look at today with you all is this. God says to us, do nothing out of selfish ambition, or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself. Simple, right? This, this teaching of Jesus is hard, really, really hard, even for adults, let alone to instill and teach this to the next generation. Right? Because here, the Apostle Paul is telling us, right, 
As you live your life, it should never be about my wants, my thoughts, my desires, my pride, my need for, for glory and accolation. It should always be about the other. And that's hard. Right? Will you admit with me today that, that even as adults, there's a part of us, we want the glory, right? We want the... We want the pat on the back. We want the accolades and the raise and, and, and all those things. We want people to recognize our efforts and our work. We want people to know the milestones in our families, birthdays and anniversaries and, and all those things. And if people don't, right, isn't there a part of us that gets a little bit cranky? Like, nobody recognized me or my milestone. But God says don't do that. God says be humble, and, and humility means putting others first. Now, I want you to clearly understand and hear what I'm saying here, right? Humility is not this. I stink. I'm a loser. I'm worthless. I'm no good. That's not humility. Because you know where the focus still is when you're doing that? You. And humility is also not this either. Oh, I don't, I, I don't need the thank you. I don't need the praise. I, I don't need any of those things, right? Because in many ways, humility actually doesn't say a word. It just does. So hear me very clearly, right? That, that, that's not humility. Humility here, and really scripturally, godly, humility simply means this. That you are so secure in who you are in Jesus Christ and what he has given to you that you can freely put others first and give. Let me say that again. Humility in Christ is the fact that you know that Jesus loves you. He died for you. And he's given you blessing upon blessing. You lack nothing. You don't have to chase it. You don't have to beg for it. He's got it. That you can focus now on somebody else and helping them. Or as Paul puts it here, looking out for, for their interests. And here's the deal. If you don't put Jesus at the center, you will never be able to do that. You will always look inward to yourself because this is hard, right? We live in a world that it's all about your way right away. You deserve it. Go get it. Customize it. It's about you. And so we have that message every day hammering us. And then we also have this, this voice in our own heart saying, yes, what about me? What about what I did? What about my efforts, my contribution? How come somebody doesn't applaud me? And Jesus says, come on, guys. What more could you want? I've given to you it all. And that's why, right, as we move into this next section, he says this. He says, your humility flows from Jesus, okay? So listen to what he says. He said, who, talking about Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Just think about these words for a moment. This is God, right? He's talking about, about Jesus who is God. And look at what Jesus did. 
Right? There's nobody higher than Jesus. There's nobody more important or powerful on this planet than Jesus. Everything is his. He created it. It was created by him and for him. Yet what does he do? He comes in humility. Right? Jesus didn't ride into Bethlehem that first Christmas night, flexing on all of us, saying, check me out. Boom, I'm here. I'm here to smoke you guys, and I'm here to help you guys. And, ooh, you, you religious people over there, I got a word for you too. He doesn't do any of that. Think of how humiliating it must have been for the guy who created everything to spend nine months in his mother's womb. Again, this is God we're talking about. And then when the timing was right, he had to be squeezed out that birth canal and born into a world that was bleeding and dying because of its own doing. And if that wasn't enough, then he grew up and he became a man and he, he carried out his ministry and not once did he ever use his godly powers to his gain or advantage, not even a little. He always used it for your benefit, for mine, for people who were lost and dying. Just think about the awesomeness of, of, of God and how he humbled himself to give you, to give me what we could never find or never purchase or never gain on our own. Right? Meaning, purpose, security, peace, joy, forgiveness, hope, all those things that we crave, that we chase after, and oftentimes go to the wrong places to find it, Jesus came to give it to you in full so we could stop the rat race, stop seeking out other gods, and find in him all that we need. And his humility culminated on a hill outside of Jerusalem where he even was willing to drain every last drop of his blood so that you would never have to drain yours in payment for your sins. Jesus, he exchanged his glory for your sins so that you could exchange in your sins for his glory and perfection. Talk about humility. And so today, you know what Jesus says to you? You want purpose? You want meaning? You want all these things? In me, you have it. You want love? You want acceptance? You want forgiveness? Maybe that friend won't give it to you. Maybe your spouse won't even give it to you, but I will, and I did. And I got the nail marks to prove it. You want purpose in your life? He says your purpose is not to eat, to drink, to sleep, to chase the dollar, to fill your time with all these things that won't, won't supply what you truly need. Your purpose is to know in me you already have it, and then to live for me and share it with others. Friends, we can live a life of humility because when we look at Jesus, there's nothing you lack. Not a thing. Your sins are gone. Your hope and peace are secure because your eternal address is heaven because of Jesus, and no one can take that away. And so how, how can we make that truth the center of our families, and not just families, but our entire life. I want to share one more section of God's word with you that, kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, that helps us out. The writer to the book of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne 
of God. Right? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to your kids. Don't look to anything in this world. Right? Fix them. Glue them on Jesus and Jesus alone because he's the one that endured the cross to make you his own. And so if we're kind of summing this up, I think we can sum it up this way. Christ-centered homes produce Christ-centered families. Not perfect families. Not families who have it all together. Not families who, who don't struggle and at times are a complete mess. That's not what he says. But they're families that look to Jesus, that know what Jesus has done. Now think about the kids again, right? If you want your kids and what parent does not want the best for their kids, right? If you want your kids to grow healthy and strong and productive. If you want them to not chase after the latest and greatest that the world is promising them. If you want them to, to not just chase after the first person who says, I love you or I got something for you. But to be centered, you have to give them a foundation. You can't take time off. And I know that's hard because the world's not enticing all of us to come follow them instead of Jesus. We have to give our children a foundation, guys. It's of eternal importance. And how can you do that? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Moms, dads, grandparents, pastor, right? If we're going to do this for the younger generation, that means we have to fix our eyes on Jesus too. I don't know if you heard the saying, but you can't give what you don't have. If your eyes are not fixed on Jesus, don't be shocked that your kids aren't either. Fix your eyes on Jesus with his help. Right? Make your home a place where Jesus is number one and all you think, say, and do. Hard, yes. Impossible, Jesus is not a chance with my help. You know, I know this is hard. And I don't know if you're anything like me this week, as, I, as God said, you got to say these things. I'm like, I don't want to because I feel kind of guilty, God, because I know I'm not that parent. I have failed. I have made mistakes. And I just pray that my mistakes won't mess up my kids. If you've ever felt that way, maybe you're thinking that right now, you have to listen to this. You have to hear what I'm saying. Jesus says, I forgive you. Jesus says, don't beat yourself up. I paid for that sin too, and I will help you. You are forgiven. And on the days that, that you are weak, Jesus says, I'll be your strength. The days where you feel like you can't do this anymore, Jesus says, I will do it. I will be your help. I will help you to fix your eyes on me. And then let your kids see it. You know, sometimes we say things like, well, faith is a personal thing, whether it's in my family or out in public. And where in the Bible does it ever say that? In fact, it doesn't. Jesus says, shout it from the rooftops everywhere. So let your kids see it. Moms, dads, grandparents, Older role models in the church and beyond, let them see you wrestle with God in prayer. Let them see you balance work and school and practices and a million other things, but still making Jesus the center of your family. Let them see so that when they grow up, they will be a part of Christ-centered families too because it wasn't a weird thing to see mom and dad pray or talk about Jesus. It was the norm. 
Make sure your kids don't just see you coming to church for an hour on Sunday and then when they're 30, wonder why they're not following Jesus. Let them see your walk every day. Share it with them. Help them because they need your help. They're looking to you. Fix your eyes on Jesus and help your kids to see Jesus too. None of this is easy. We praise our humble Savior that he forgives us for our failures, but as we stand on his word and as we help one another, as we live life together, we like to say that around here, right? We can fix our eyes on Jesus, standing on his words, his promises, his forgiving love alone. So that our families, our church family, our own individual families, maybe families that don't look just for their own interests, but they look to the interests of others so that they might know Jesus too. Pray for me. I'll pray for you this week that God makes our families the families that stand on Jesus alone. Amen.